Okay, church, here's what we need to do right now. I'm going to have this real awkward little pause because I want to tell you about the next campaign, the next series, the next conversation we're having called Holy Spirit 101. Um, but I'm supposed to do like a real smooth transition so the team can kind of edit it later to push it out on social media. And here's the thing, I couldn't figure out a good transition. So here we go. I'm just going to pause and jump into it. Are you excited about that? Say yes. I knew that you were going to be excited about the next series we have coming up called Holy Spirit 101, and I want to take the next two minutes just to tell you about it. At Navigation Church, here's what we aren't. We aren't just some mainline denomination. We aren't just an evangelical church. We are actually a charismatic church, and you right there go, I don't know what that means, or you have an idea of what that means. Well, I can tell you this. It means that we believe that the Holy Spirit is still present here on the earth in order to train us, guide us, and equip us in what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be covering topics. Ready for this? This is going to challenge you. Is the Holy Spirit in it or is it in he? Right? And so here's the next one for you. Are we supposed to speak in tongues? Should we do it in public? Should there be interpretations of tongues? Like this, these are answers that we must have. Actually, here's what it is. It's things we need to understand in order to be the best followers of Jesus Christ that we can. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a deep dive into the Holy Spirit. And I want to let you know, of 20 years of ministry, I've never spent more time on a single series than this one. Because not only has this been for me to prepare this in order to give this, it's actually been challenging me. And I'll tell you why. It'll be week number six when we cover the baptism of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, how many believe in the baptism of salvation? Or let's say it this way. Do you believe you should be saved? Yeah. How many believe in the water baptism? That's when we get in a tank, go underneath, and put people down. They're like, you know, like, get them back up, right? Like, we believe in water baptism. What if I tell you that the baptism of the Spirit is on equal grounds of all those things? There's just desperate tools that we need as followers of Jesus Christ, and I can't wait to get into it, as well as this. We're kicking off, and this is the time I know you want to just get excited because you don't even know what it means. We're kicking off our 40-day spiritual challenge. Not a campaign, not something we're inviting you to. It is to challenge you for the next 40 days as we head into Easter, which is the granddaddy of them all when it comes to our spiritual worship time. And so I just want to invite you. If there's one single service that you intentionally try to make it to all year long, please make it to this coming Sunday so that you can hear all about the spiritual campaign as well as the Holy Spirit 101. There it is. I think I nailed it. I'm happy with that. Put it in the can. Pastor Aaron, thumbs up. Like, Go, two thumbs up. We're going with it. See, I told you, they asked me to do things like this, and I'm supposed to be, like, smoothly slided in. Here's saying, you guys know me. I don't do anything smoothly. Like, we're just here. We're just doing this thing. But I am going to tell you this. We are in the final week of having our conversation about move to the new, even though it's the final week. I've, in my mind, have thought about this as one big sermon. So today, if you feel challenged, and I'd even say this, maybe lost a little bit, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last two weeks because this has been one big thought. And this one big thought is this. Ready for this? Like, if you don't change, that means you're lazy. Some of you say yes. But 
Now, some of you kind of wanted to say yes, but you're wrestling with, but I've tried to change before, and it just, I don't think I was lazy. I, I think it was difficult. How many would say you've wanted to legitimately change before, but in the middle of change, you realize change is not quite, actually, can you say this? It can be exhausting, and you try to change. Here's one change that I did back in October. I know this sounds small, but it'll make sense in a minute. I decided that every single morning I was going to start flossing. Right? And you may say, well, good for you, you floss. I found out through a life insurance salesman that people who floss through life insurance, they add four years to your life. Guess what? I want to start flossing. And I'm so excited. You know those little plastic bins that you pull? The... I am towards the end of one. And I don't know in the history of the world if anyone's actually ever used up an entire thing of floss. <laughs> Right, because you get started, and then you're like, oh, I'm doing this. My fingers are bleeding. My knuckles feel like they're popping off. Like, I'm so excited. Like, I may post online. I'm going to do this. When I finish my first thing of floss, I'm just posting that online with the lid open and not making a comment. But we'll know. <laughs> we'll know that I achieved it. Here's the thing. Uh, we look at change, and maybe a radish and a cookie would help you understand what it means to change. There was a psychologist that did a study a while back. Excuse me. <clears throat> did a study where they had some young students come into a room, and in the room they had a bowl of fresh-baked homemade cookies and a bowl of radishes. And half of the group, they said this, that when you come in, feel free to have a couple cookies, but don't eat any of the radishes. And then the other half of the group, they had them come in, and they said, we need you to eat some radishes, but please don't eat any of the cookies. And at about halfway through the study, the people who were doing the study, they end up walking out of the room. And part of it was, could the cookie people refrain from having radishes? And everyone said, yeah, yeah without question. But could the radish group refrain from eating cookies? And sure enough, they did. So the study was completely over. And after that, they ushered these two groups into two different rooms. And in the minds of the people who were doing the study of the radish versus cookies, the study was over. And they said, hey, we would like to introduce you to a new study, and here's what it is. And they, have you ever seen those, like, shapes where you're supposed to put your pen down and try to trace the whole shape without going back on a line? And can you fill in every line? You guys know what I'm talking about there? So this group, these two groups started working on filling out this geometric shape. And could you do it without filling it in or without crossing back over? Now, one of the things that the participants didn't know is this was impossible. There actually was no way to do this. But the people that were eating, uh, that got to eat of the cookies, they worked on it for 19 minutes before they said, hey, this can't be done. The people that ate the radish worked on it for nine minutes, or excuse me, for eight minutes. Over half the time that the cookie people did. And here's what the study ended up showing. Self-control can wear you out. So before they ever came into this geographic ge geometry thing, or geometry, I just used two G words that none of them were right. You like that? Like, I know, geographic geometry. Geometric, that's one we're going for. Listen, we just preach together here, guys. Just, this is a team sport. The reason why the people with the cookies is because earlier they didn't have to be so focused on self-control. And by the way, parents, you know this is true. You know this study is absolutely true. And here's how I say that. Your kids get in the car and you say, how was school today? And they were fantastic. And then you say, 
did you get in trouble? And they were like, no, we were perfect all day long. And you know they were because the teacher didn't send any note. But the moment that door closes, when picking them up from school, the kids go crazy. Right? They bounce around. They won't be quiet. They won't sit still. And you're sitting there going, if you did this for your teachers, why won't you do it for me? And here's why. Because they exercise so much self-control, they're exhausted and they needed a break from not focusing on the cookies. That's what it is. And so then if you immediately tell someone, we want you to change something massive in your life, they can say, I can do that. But if you have to use self-control for too long, it's not that you're lazy. We only have a certain quotient that we can, quotient that we can actually invest in self-control all day long, which is why you're not usually exhausted when you get to work because your morning routine, how many can tell me to the second what your morning routine is? You get up. Because of your age, you go to the bathroom first. Most of you go get the devil's juice called coffee, and then all of a sudden you get caffeinated up, and you have enough energy to make yourself some breakfast. Shower, brush your teeth, right? How many can tell me what your morning routine is? Try adding flossing. And see if it doesn't take some mental energy for a while. Because you have to focus on it. And I'll tell you, the first time you try to take two, I have catcher's mitts for hands. I don't know if you can see these things. You try to shove them back there to get that last tooth. The first couple days, creative cuss words came out. Like, I don't know how you're going to do this, right? But now after a while, because I was focused and self-disciplined, it's now just become a part of the habit. It's become a part of the routine. But there's things in our life That self-control will never be enough. We need to give God control over ourself. Especially in a season where he's calling us to radical discipleship. So here's what we've done. Uh, The first part of our conversation, one of the things we had to realize is that in shifting out of the old, shifting into the new, like there's some places in our life that just need to die in a wilderness. And so we we talked about uh, the... Joshua and the children of Israel crossing into the promised land. And, and then as we have to cross into this promised land, the next week we talked about there's parts of our life that we just need to sacrifice. We need to cut off. We need to leave in the past. And we left that in the past. This week we're going to talk about trusting God. And I know right now if I said to you, you need to trust God with your whole life, every little Christian in here would be like, amen, you know, but we don't mean it. Let's be honest, we don't mean it. We don't give God all of our trust. And let's see if you would trust him with this. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it goes like this. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in or came out. And so let's just, let me tell you what's going on here. The children of Israel crossed over into the promised land. After they crossed in, and this was a necessary part to cover because we talked about it a lot last week. The children of Israel, all the men got circumcised. Then they sat in a place of healing. And sitting in this place of healing, God wants us healed from these things of the past that he's trying to strip off. And then he says, the very first city that you're going to go war against is Jericho. Here's some facts about Jericho. The walls were so wide that two chariots could actually race across the top of them. So now they were tall enough that you weren't going to be able to climb over. They were thick enough that you weren't going to be able to shut them, push them down. And it says that the first city that the Israelites were supposed to go attack is this place called Jericho. And because of the Israelites, they securely barred up their entire city so they were like impenetrable. And the Lord said to Joshua, remember this whole thing of let's trust God and, and everything he tells us to do? Ready for this? The Lord said to Joshua, 
See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. No, you haven't. They're hidden behind a wall. Like, we can't get to them. I mean, just be, see, we read this with hindsight. Put yourself right here in the moment. You come up in this fortified city, bigger than you can imagine, and all of a sudden God goes, hey, don't worry, I've given them to you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to march around the city once with all the armed, or with all the armed men. And do it for six days. And then have seven priests, you know, because if you're going to go out into a battle, why do you want the Navy SEALs when you can have priests go out ahead of you? Have seven priests carrying trumpets of rams of horn in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, here's your battle strategy. March around the city seven times and blow your trumpets. I will say out loud what all of us are thinking. God, this plan is dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. Like, it's not going to work. What do you mean? We're going against a fortified city. How many right now, if you were a part of this army, would say, this sounds like a good idea? We're going to march quietly. See, it's so funny. Right now, there's times where you guys interact with me. But right now, when I'm calling God dumb, you don't want to interact with me at all. Right? You don't because you want to say, no, he's not. But if you're really honest with yourself, I'm going to defeat all of Collinsville. See you Tuesday. It's, it's a dumb plan. And then I started thinking about every place where I've been wounded, every place that I've had major disappointments, every place that's caused me the greatest amount of harm in my life, it was because of the plans I made that got me there. But the greatest places of freedom, deliverances, is because of what God had told me to do. Amen. So sometimes I guess I should maybe ask the question, who's the dumb one? And for me, you don't have to answer this for yourself. For me, it's me. I'm usually the most destructive person in my life. So when God tells me something like, here's what I need you to do. I need you to walk around the city, and I need you to be quiet. And on the last day, you're going to walk around it seven times, and then you're just going to blow some trumpets. I need to say, God, maybe I should go because this is what you've called me to. Because most of the times, I am completely unaware of what motivates me to do what I do. Is there anybody else in here like that? Is there, are you unaware of what you are doing, why you're doing it, and you know how you're doing it, but you don't even know why you're doing it or the destination you're hoping to get to? I was listening to a guy. When I was like originally kind of laying out this series, I looked up online, change, what is the definition of change, and a guy named Tony Robbins popped up. Do you know who that is? Have you ever heard of him before? He has a deep voice. He's cla- he claps funny. Have you ever watched him? Really funny claps. And so like super motivational guy, and right now I'll let you know he's not a theologian. He's not a pastor, not a Baptist, but I, or a Baptist, how funny is that? He, he might be, I don't know. But I, he's not ordained is what I meant to say. But I just had this video playing in the background while I was doing all my Christian notes over here, and he said something. He said something interesting. He said there's six contributing factors that drive us in life. And if we can figure out what these motivating factors are, I can actually tell you what your destiny is going to be. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So I wrote it down, not thinking I would ever use it in a, series or in a sermon. But as I've been developing this, here's the thing. Why did the children of Israel go with God? What motivated them to do this? 
What motivated you to originally come to some building in the middle of Collinsville or turn on a Billy Graham crusade or say yes to a friend that invited to a church? Well, like, what was that motivating factor? And he, I wrote down, he wrote down these six things, and I would say, I think I, they make a lot of sense to me. So the first one is like certainty or security. We do what we do because we want to feel secure in life. You probably said yes to the job that you took because there was a certain paycheck that you felt satisfied with, and that gave you a certain amount of security. And you probably didn't start a business that someone else asked you to start because you were uncertain the way that it would end up falling out. And so because you didn't like uncertainty, you wanted certainty, you did that thing in your life. But here's the crazy thing. The other one outside of certainty or security is uncertainty and variety. Because if all of us have everything we always do all the time, there's no variety of life that also gets stale. So isn't it nice sometimes just to jump in the car and head out to just see what happens? And what do you find and what do you discover? There's like a certain excitement. There's things that we need. But if you only have one or the other, you're not going to live a balanced life because the people who live with no security and all variety, they're just nomads, right? But the other ones are probably going to be hermits. So you have security, you have unsecurity, Uh, you have significance, and we know this in today's culture. When it comes to significance, it's why all social media continues to still blow up. You want to feel significance in your life. That's why you don't mind taking 15 pictures from a certain angle so your chin hides. Come on, I know we all do it, right? Lift the camera up, lift the camera up, and then you make sure to throw on the filter, but not that one because you look too washed out. You need to look natural. And what's that one that you turn to the side, pull your leg... And like all of a sudden you don't have fat. Like it's just, we all do this. We want to have significance in our life. And social media, let's be honest, this thing that was supposed to bring us together most likely is actually moving us apart because they're fake lives that we put out there to feel a false sense of significance. And then there's love. How many of us have made either really good decisions or really bad decisions in the name of love? I know, I know individuals in my life, at the youngest of age, we thought they'd be the first one to be married, and usually what happens is they're the ones with the most tragic relationships and the longest one to ever find that significant other. Because the driving force in their life was love, and all these other things would fall to the side. Growth, personal growth, spiritual growth, mental growth, emotional growth. If, you, if you're that person that always strives to be better and go, 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 these are going to be the driving factors. And so you will burn any bridge to blaze any trail as long as you are the one growing. And then the other one was contributing, contributing to your life. Have you ever met a martyr in your world? They never take care of themselves. They're always given to someone else, and it's because they want to contribute in life. And so I would ask you this, what is the driving factors in your life? Tony Robbins actually says, if you can identify the top two reasons or top two things in your life that drives you, he can tell you the direction that you're always going to be headed. And I think it's worth evaluating because if we don't know what's driving us, if we don't know where we're going, you don't know what to pack for. You don't know what to bring along with you. And most of the times, and by the way, I'm just going to own this right here, I find what I take into the future is the very thing that God tried to cut off at the last stage. The thing that I find security in is the one thing hoping, uh, keeping me from finding all security in Christ. The one thing that I say is giving me love most likely is the abuse that keeps wounding me. And so if we could find that thing, if not, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I love about the Bible. The, light, the Bible is practical, everyday people that can reflect to us what our real thinking is. 
Because after the children of Israel, ready for this, so in, in this chapter you have children of Israel, you know what they did? They did this really dumb, 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 dumb thing. They walked around the city and then went home. And then they walked around the city and then went home. After a week, they walked around the city. The entire walls came crumbling down. Some, I, I've heard this before. I just never been able to find a good documented, like, actual, like, archaeologist that would be able to say this. Where's Indiana Jones when you need him, right? It's like, apparently, the research has shown that the walls were actually pushed into the ground. And that's what I've heard before. I've heard other people say that they fell, and when they fell, they became the ramp, or the thing that held you back is now the road getting you in. Huh, it's a great, like, I don't know, though. So, so all I know is the children of Israel completely defeated Jericho. And at this time, here's what God said. I know there's an entire city here, but none of it goes to you. Why? Ready for this? When it comes to the first fruits, it's always God. Earlier, when we encourage you to be givers, just so you know, it didn't start at some law. It didn't start at some New Testament. It started, here's a, from the very beginning, God says this. Listen, if you're going to be with me, you should know that I'm God and you're not, and there's some things you can't touch. And so all of a sudden, God said, leave all this alone. So then the next battle comes up, and the children of Israel, Joshua, man, he's just feeling like a big dog now. And he goes, listen, this is a small little city. AI is where we're going to go attack. And all I need to send is a couple thousand people, and you just go take care of them. And when you get done, we'll go ahead and go loot them. Like, seriously, read it for yourself. Children of Israel went over to attack these people, and they got their tails handed to them. They just got a beat down. They took off running, came running back, and they came to Joshua, and they're like, Joshua, like, we don't know what happened. All of a sudden, we thought we were supposed to be victorious, but now we're coming back, and we're anything but victorious. And Joshua, I love this, Joshua chapter 7, see if this isn't a prayer that you've done before. Joshua chapter 7, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into their hands of the Amorites to destroy us? So now he's saying to God, why did you ever bring us out of the desert? Why did you free us from our captivity? Why did you get that Egyptian slavery mindset out of us? Why did you have us cut off the old thing just to bring us here and let the Amorites defeat us? Why? Because the greatest way to pray to God is when you're the victim. How often we play the victim card. When he then goes, if only we had been <laughs> content to stay on the other side of Jordan. God, God, I'm content with just manna. I don't need meat. God, I'm content with portable tents. I don't need houses. God, I'm content with you. You know, let's say it this way. Like, um, well, I don't want to say it that way. That would offend people. So, I'm free with the, I can't say it that way either. You know what, I'm going to say it, and if I say it wrong, I apologize. We'll just, God, I'm fine with the government that just hands me whatever I need or what they think I need so that I don't have to be responsible for my own life. Some people call it socialism, some people call it communism, but God was saying, no, you have to go to work. Like, it's time for you to go to the promised land. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make some political statement. This is what the children of Israel, they were used to an Egyptian mindset where if they could just get enough for life, they should be satisfied. But God didn't call you to just have enough for life. God called you to be more than conquerors. But problem is, sometimes when we feel conquered, we turn around and we blame God. And I love it. In verse 10, God said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? I kept reading this this morning, and the only voice I got in my head was Eddie Murphy. I don't know why. If I was making a movie, 
I kept getting already Murphy. Goes, I mean, I can't even do it. Like, I wish I could, like, just imagine him, like, standing, what are you doing? Like, stand up, get off your face. And he goes, Israel's sin. Stop playing the victim and own your stuff. Israel has sinned. They have violated my commandment, which I gave to them to keep, which basically said, I've given you all your freedoms. I've given you all your prosperity. I've given you all the future has for you. And there was one thing I asked you not to do, and that's take what I've asked for myself. But you couldn't even do that. And he said, they've stolen. By the way, when God calls something for himself and we don't give it to him, here's what God is saying about it. He ha they have stolen. They have lied. They have made it their own possessions. And so it's the reason why we find out that there was a, a family while in Jericho, they were actually motivated by something. And if I were to look at it, I would think they were motivated by security. Like, what is the thing in our life motivating us? While they were here conquering all this land, this one guy saw a pot of gold and thought to himself, man, in order for me to secure my future, I know I should put my trust in God, and he told me not to touch anything, but I would feel more secure if I put this in my pocket now so I know that this man, and I know this cash, I know this gold will always have its value, but I don't know if I can trust a God I can't see. And maybe it was this. Maybe, maybe there, was some, there was some new clothes. Maybe, there, maybe it wasn't money. Maybe it wasn't food. Maybe it wasn't house. Maybe it was just goods, and you were tired of wearing the same thing for 40 years, and at some point you wanted to feel significant to everyone around you, so you went ahead and grabbed some new threads or some new drip. I'm just trying to help you. Just trying to help you. What was the thing? Did you feel significant? Did, you, did your spouse say, hey, when you're in there, if you really love me, will you go ahead and put on the credit card this thing I don't need in order for me to feel loved? So God's saying, I love it. What are you doing on your face? Your plan is dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. Like, by the way, that's not in the Bible. That's just me thinking what God said to us at this time. He said, they've stolen possessions. Not owning your part of the issue allows you to smuggle your issues into the future. Not owning your part of the issues gives us an excuse, gives us a reason to smuggle those issues into the future. So here's a question. How far into your future do you intend to carry the problem that created your past? Question. How far into your future do you intend to carry the problem that created your past? I don't want to carry it into my past anymore. Joshua 7, 13. Go consecrate yourself tell the people consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow Prop, consecrate yourself to the day where you're going to move into the new set yourself aside from that egyptian slave mentality consecrate yourself become radically devoted to me and not the things that you're the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the pride of life consecrate yourself unto me for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemy until you remove them. There are things that you are facing in your life that you will never defeat them until you realize they're the enemies that need to be put down. And until you go team Jesus and not team self, you will always fall flat to seem self. And here's the crazy thing. Individually, I think we can say yes. I know in my life where, I, where this has happened. But isn't it crazy to think that some of your individual sins create corporate issues? There were people that died in the war that didn't steal a thing. Or can I say it this way? My kids are going to be wounded because of the decisions that I've made. And you know what? Here's a weight that I know I carry. Pastor Aaron, if he came up, he would say the same thing. There's people that are going to get injured, a part of this ministry, because of selfish or sinful decisions that we make. Because I don't know if you know this. In case you don't know this, you should know this. You're not at a church where the pastors are perfect. And by the way, if you find one, let me know. We need to shut this one down and all go there. But when we go to make decisions and when we say, man, we think God is calling us to this or we're going to set these 40 days aside, or we, are we doing it out of selfish, feign, conceit, or are we doing it because this is what Jesus has told us to do? Because if we make the wrong decision, I have to live with the consequences that people will be injured. Where in your life is your private sins making a public display and wounding your spouse? said it last week, or week number one, you can't have a private issue in a, in a couple or corporate situation. Your private issues seep into because three is a crowd. So if you do not deal with the pain someone else has caused you, then you will allow them to influence your future. So, who wants to allow those hurts to continue to influence your future? And if so, how long do you plan on them influencing your decisions? We have to wrestle with this. We have to come to terms with this. And at some point, not only, do we have to trust, not only do we have to move out with God, not only do we have to cut off the old, when it comes to this year of radical devotion and the rest of your faith... We've got to get to the terms where we just trust God because your past can remind you, but today God wants to tell you he doesn't want it to define you. You can remember this past, but it doesn't mean it needs to remain with you. So to ensure next time won't be the last time, let's release the past so the past can release you.